This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Well, it's that time, ladies and gentlemen. Kelly McDonald, hour of the program. Thank you for being with us. And it is that time as we begin the second hour to remind you of something that if you have not did it, you've got to. I'm sorry. It is that time to dream big in our contest. The countdown is on to enter the contest. The contest closes February 8th. So enter now for a chance to win a Temper Pro Adapt mattress. Tempur-Pedic mattresses are designed uh, with uh, one-of-a-kind temper material to precisely adapt to your weight, shape, and temperature, offering unmatched comfort and support. For all those rules and your opportunity to enter said contest, please visit ami.ca slash krcontest. Once again, February 8th, the date you want to just be sure that you have entered and are ready to get that call. Ramy Muth and Kelly McDonald, and one of the things we love to do, Ram, on the program is visit with our community reporters. These folks are gathered around the country and uh, from different locations, so let's check in with one of them. Today is Kim Hovey joins us on the program with news from Dawson City in the Yukon. Kim, welcome back. How are you? I'm wonderful, thank you. And just so you know, I've entered for the contest. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> the law doesn't dictate Careful. that you can't enter. No, but be careful. There might be those people creeping around from that marketing department say, hold on a second, let's check a small print here. Oh, that's awesome. Well, good luck to you and everyone that does. Yes, um, good luck we, to everybody. We've been talking a bit about different games and activities and getting out there and all the fun that it brings, especially when we talk about the winter. Well, you've got something interesting that we're all hanging in here saying, well, What's this about? Wood Buffalo 2023 Arctic Winter Games. You want to fill us in on this? Yes, this is quite uh, a really fun and uh, a lot of participants locally, uh, athletes join in the Arctic Winter Games and is just uh, a really great chance for people to get together and learn and so just to give you an overview um mm -hmm. the competition is for northern and arctic athletes um it provides an opportunity to strengthen the sport development in the participants jurisdictions to to promote the benefit of the sport and partnership and culture and values so they have social exchanges and learning about the culture. And it's um, sharing cultural values is really uh, a big thing that they do there as well. It sounds like as well, I mean, I, I'm, uh, with the fact that people kind of work in their own communities um, and participate that way, again, it cuts down on these big traveling things. It has more local events, that uh, a feel to it, I'm sure, where the athletes that are competing or performing in these uh, know each other. And um, the, I think that's wonderful. Has that always been? Because it sounds so post-pandemic, but we're also looking at places with a decent distance apart and traveling during the winter being an issue. Is that how come these games have this particular kind of structure? Absolutely. So they're every two years and they've started, I think, in um, the 70s. And wow. it was it was really to share culture and for the northern uh, people to get together and share and be together. Yes. I think it's great. Well, especially when we all look at wherever we're doing something, having that support system, the people that kind of, hey, are, uh, you know, work together, train together. And I think that that's such a positive thing because, you know, when you brought it up or when I, you know, first, I guess, read it and said, oh, interesting. I think first thing you snap to thinking is, oh, wow, they're going to be out there doing stuff in the cold and the snow. And it's not all about that. I'm uh, assuming most of the games are very, or the stuff that, that people are participating in are really a lot of the kind of events and things um, that we'd have anywhere. 
And that is very true. And just so you know, there's a, approximately 2,100 athletes and coaches wow. and officials. So it's a good size event. Um, there's eight uh, contingents. So Yukon, Northwest Territories, uh, Nunavik uh, in Quebec, uh, Alberta, Nunavut, Alaska, Greenland, and then they call it Spapmi, which is Norway, Sweden, and Finland. They come in as one. Um, And there's approximately 20 winter sports um, that are what what they compete with. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, the size of it is actually really incredible. Um, Yeah. Shall we keep going? You have a, first of all, we'll put this information up on our blog, ami.ca slash Kelly Co. And the second topic you have for us is the Yukon Quest, 1,600 kilometers of international sled dog race. Yes. And so this originated back in 1984. There was a couple of blokes <laughs> sitting talking <laughs> about how uh, to best do this. And so what they've come up with is um, they call the name Highway of the North, which is the Yukon River and the winter land routes uh, that were traveled by the prospectors, adventurers, uh, mail and supply carriers as well, um, traveling to the gold fields um, and the and the Alaska interior that was part of the corridor. And this is all without the benefit of snowmobiles, airplanes, or roads. They did this. So it's quite a, a rerouting to continue with the sled dogs. Yeah, no kidding. Now, was it the same distance, Kim? Do you know? Well, so this year um, they are doing three um, sections of a race. Um, now, originally it was from Whitehorse to Alaska, um, but and they would switch back and forth every um, every year. But this year um, the races are a hundred mile from Whitehorse to Brayburn, and there's eight mushers in that competition, and then a t- two hundred and fifty mile from Whitehorse to Pally Crossing, and there's six wow. mushers in that one, and then there's a four hundred and fifty mile. And that one's from Whitehorse to Dawson City, and there's seven mushers in that one. It's incredible. Those are long distances. (laughs) (laughs) And dog sledding. Like, it's, wow, really an interesting interesting thing to try. Kim, have you been ever on a dog sled? I have, and it is just such an incredible um, feeling. And we have an idea when we use our white cane to get that feedback from the ground. And dog sledding to me is like it is so true feeling. Snowmobile kind of takes <laughs> takes that away, but dog sledding definitely gives you that feeling and makes it very accessible <laughs> yeah so wow. it's uh it's a wonderful sport for that as well How and long you've was got lots ride? of little eyes um i did uh, a ride for about it was two hour ride nice and wow yeah holy cow that is really nice so go ahead sorry you were gonna say and well it was just enough to get nice and frosted and (laughs) get your lungs full of cold air and it was wonderful and the sun was shining um and to be snuggled up with the furs and it was perfect yes oh man what an experience i had a chance when i was shooting my show blindsided to drive the sled and my ride certainly wasn't as like not even one one thousandth as long as yours was but it was still an interesting experience working the break and getting the dogs to respond um and it, it really yes. like you said you could feel that ground that connection with it uh, most definitely as as we do can you uh because the two of you have had experience can you explain that more kels like what is it like to actually drive 
standing up um when i i was doing it to my recollection and I, I literally have to go back and watch the piece we got got into position and the, and the dogs of course you have your your the, the dogs and their personalities the first i had to go <laughs> meet the dogs and they each had their own little personality but as i drove it it was fast they 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 pulled right out they were eager um and you had to learn your way for your body also to respond in turning the sled which again as a blind person trying out driving it it was a little different that's for sure kim anything you want to add to th that passenger wrapped up and enjoying <laughs> the ride and going into real open country and the dogs are just so smart. It just seems like they know exactly what to do and um, just takes a little bit of a lean or a trigger and they know where you want to go. So, yeah. yeah. I'm always... And when they are listening to you, it's, it is very, uh, that communication back and forth is very rewarding. Too. Right? Yeah. It's well, with me, sport. they knew this clown on the back doesn't know what he's doing. So let's just run here. <laughs> <laughs> They'll compensate for you. No, I, I yeah, honestly wonder, especially for these races that you mentioned, Kim, uh, you know, the training that goes into it, the stamina that these dogs have and the communication that's constant for this distance. Absolutely. And to to have the proper nutrition and yes. training for all those involved and to dress properly because the weather can change just like in a blink of an eye too. So thank goodness they have kits that they take with them to enable to do that. So because it can be crazy weather changes. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that's got to be such a challenge uh, in, in the weather, but just everything you want to have ready, the the durability and, uh, you know, all the teams are just so different. Kim, awesome. Thanks a lot. Always wonderful to have you on the show to visit. We'll talk to you next month. Thank you. Have a great day. Kim Hovey, our community reporter from Dawson City in the Yukon, joining us. And as mentioned, we visit with our community reporters once a month right here on Kelly and Ramya and get an idea of what they have to share with us. AMI.ca slash Kelly Co. to find the things that she has spoken about in a little more detail. Up next, reporter Grant Hardy joins us to discuss a new earthquake warning system. And this is, of course, for people with disabilities out there in British Columbia. Stand by, folks. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Ramya Muthan, Kelly McDonald, host of the show, and you know... I've been accused of being greedy before because, quite frankly, I want you to never miss an episode of the program, Even, particularly the live show. We're on at 2 p.m. Eastern and everything like that is always good. We're settled in, ready to go. Why can't you be here? But if not, of course, you can listen to one of the repeats and check that out as well. 10 p.m. Eastern time for uh, the repeat on AMI-audio and AMI-TV. Look, whatever you can uh, join us for any part of the program, folks, is good with us. Uh, we also have Ramya joining us today. Grant Hardy, reporter out there in Vancouver. There are a whole bunch of different times. That's why I said Eastern, Grant, so we wouldn't leave anyone off. You've got some good times to catch the show uh, out there live and in repeat. Welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? Hey, folks. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing pretty well. Hope you guys are uh, having a happy Monday today. Yeah, yeah so far, right? Yeah. So far, so good, actually. <laughs> Lots to uh, check in on after the weekend, right? Grant, there's one thing that you want to discuss today, which is the new earthquake warning system in British Columbia. And this is, uh, I'm not sure if this is particularly meant for people yeah. with disabilities, but you yeah. wanted to bring that angle in as well. Yeah, so I guess basically I wanted to talk about uh, emergency prep uh, because of a couple things. Uh, one thing that's happened in my building, which we'll get into a little later. Uh, but yeah, starting with the earthquake warning system. Um, so this is not specifically intended for people with disabilities, although of course it will uh, assist us greatly. Mm -hmm. But the dirty little secret of living in bc which uh i think outside of toronto uh the lower mainland is definitely one of the epicenters of canada where people sort of want to go there's a lot of opportunity here but 
the one interesting thing is that we live in a very active, uh, well, not actually active, but we live in a seismic zone where there's a high potential for earthquakes. And my understanding is as much uh, history as we have suggests that we have a big earthquake approximately once every 300 years. And our last earthquake happens to have been in the year 1700. Um, so we are definitely at that point where we, you know, it's not a question of if, but when we have the next mm. big earthquake. And so one thing that uh, is happening and it should be active in BC by 2024 is this new warning system. It's going to be a combination of sensors in the ground uh, and in buildings in coastal communities, as well as throughout the lower mainland, uh, which is going to be giving people minutes or possibly seconds of warning. That's really the best you can do. Uh, but yeah. it's, going to be good because it's going to assist uh, firstly anything infrastructure related like turning off gas lines or closing down bridges so that you're not driving across a bridge but also just for people like you and me giving us the opportunity to uh, you know shelter in place or leave dangerous areas just just find uh, an, an area to shelter uh, so this is going to be great and it just um just kind of reminded me to, you know, start thinking about doing all the stuff that I sh we all should be doing, putting together earthquake kits yep. uh, with, you know, food and spare charger for your phone and possibly first aid and, you know, warm jacket and stuff like that for you and maybe a couple things for your service animal right. uh, as well. Yep. And just hang in there for this earthquake warning system. I, I, I love the fact that it can give possible warning to things like shutting off the gas, so many things that add to the death toll or injuries uh, mm. when something like this happens. Yeah, well, it's 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 going to be, I think, really great because some of these other uh, areas, I believe Japan um, might have tsunami and earthquake warning systems, like could be yep. wrong. Uh, but um, it's one thing that we've always kind of been, we're very, like very unprepared here in BC. I think okay. the majority of people um, or a lot of people anyway. So I think that any step that we can take in the, uh, the right direction is a positive step. Brent, do we know if the information that the system will provide includes how intense the earthquake is, how long it might last, that kind of thing? I don't get the impression that the I, I'm not exactly positive uh, that that exact information can be provided. Okay. Uh, the only thing I know is that it will come to uh, warning systems, including your smartphone's sort of emergency alert system, right. which is kind of interesting in itself because it's a very sort of one size fits all system. It kind of lumps all the alerts together they all sound the same you know whether something is happening in ottawa or whether something is happening in your backyard uh that's kind of a topic for another day mm -hmm. uh, but mm -hmm. at least this might be one extra reason to make sure you pay attention to those emergency sure. alerts coming through on the smartphone and make that information available for people on the go uh in a heartbeat right like the when we started getting the system alerts um for uh okay i'm blanking on the word but you know for any kind of amber abduction alerts. yes amber alerts yeah. thank you um and weather warnings as well for in some parts of canada it, it was just we knew we were all getting it at the same time right it would come up on our smartphones yeah. on our smart devices and everybody was getting the same thing which is is it's great because sure yeah. we're all reacting right but um you know I, I i'm not sure if it would be more or less helpful to to be able to get even more specific information on the earthquake. Yeah, I think Grant's right, though. There is there is not a lot they can do in that sense. That's why they warn us about tremors. Even the tsunamis, when you notice oh, when yeah. they put a warning out, they'll say it could. And I mean, sometimes it's half a foot of water that, that, that just, sometimes it's a wave, you know, five stories high. Um, and that's a good and question. And they can't necessarily know, right? 
as well because you know it's kind of like what we talked about with the storms right every other day there's a storm warning potentially in the gta like where i live and you know how often do we take this stuff seriously but with an earthquake there is the question of are you prepared like are you actually ready for an earthquake that could hit badly and you know and our intentions behind that grant which is what you wanted to focus on too yeah that, that's the idea and um and I, I know that a lot of people, including myself, are, are underprepared. Uh, so I think I think this is a really good reminder and a really good reminder, you know, just in general. Um, you know, one interesting thing that happened in my building uh, is we had a fire alarm the other day and it this is something I was totally used to in res i had when i lived in the dorm i had everything like lined up my like shoes and my clothes and whatever i could get out of the building in lickety split because we had fire alarms so often but this took me completely off guard and it turned out that we had a, a broken sprinkler in our building and luckily my <laughs> my unit did not get flooded but an, another few units did mm. but here oh, i am just standing outside with without my phone like how how stupid can i be without my id you know just kind of aimlessly wandering up and down the what block happened yeah. to you? How, how come um, how come what preparedness you had before uh, in school hasn't yeah naturally I, uh, you, did you did you ask us what, what why wouldn't i have kept that up i know i just kind of yeah must have blanked out but it's an an interesting reminder not only for me but also depending on i think how you want your pets to be involved yes. too like oh, this yes, is something yes. that i talked to my partner about because uh, you know her cat for example like some some cats just love their carriers. Mm. You know, people put little treats in them. They just wander in and out, and it's no problem. But like for her cat, it's very traumatic. It, it's right. a matter of you know, an evil to place to go. <laughs> and so I've been looking at different tips, like. You know, if you're in a pinch, you know, you could carry your cat in a pillowcase, apparently. Apparently, they're not happy about it, but it can help you get out if there's not an emergency. But uh, it really made me think that, you know, I think it'd be good to go back to what we used to do in school and do some drills. Yes. You know, play a, play a yes. little alarm if you have to. Grab, you know, your cat or you get your animals in, in order if you have time, yeah. I mean, if it's a real well, fire. What's then... interesting is you see so many tweets now and, and social media posts from fire departments reminding us all the time of these. I, I can't tell you how many I've seen in the last year pertaining to your pets, pertaining to this, pertaining to those cords that we go out and buy cheaply that have started fires out there in BC, you know, that they had so many it sparked. And I think some people are picking up on make sure you have those roots for if there's a fire. But I think, Grant, one of the great things also about having your place ready is when we talk for you guys out there and an earthquake potential, it isn't necessarily, well, will the buildings you know fall apart? We're not thinking of necessarily the calamity, the catastrophe of destruction, killing so many people as much as what happens afterward when all services are down. That's it. That is, I think, what they're trying to tell us. When nobody can help you, what about your medications? If you, yes. you know, you you need to take pills or a shot every day, yep. because you're supposed to be able to survive. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, for 72 hours before yes. the infrastructure starts coming back, uh, and that is everything from food to just really, really warm blankets in case mm -hmm. there's no power to, you know, first aid supplies and knowledge in case, you know, there's glass that you step on, you know, you get, you get injured, mm. you know, is slippers or, or sandals. Like, I think I, I just think that, um, you know, it's definitely good to keep all this in mind, not to freak out about it. There's only so much we can, we can do, um, but just to plan as much as we can yeah. so that you put that control back in your hands as much as possible. In the spirit yeah. of not freaking out later, right? Like that's, I think the biggest um, issue is that we don't always recognize or can put ourselves in the scenario of 
if this were to happen, where would I be? Or we're in that mindset now as we're talking yeah. about it, but later on, uh, as we get home, um, you can't remember where that first aid kit, you can't remember how much oh, food boy. you have in your inventory, you can't remember, like, if your cat actually can get in a carrier, you know what I mean? And and <laughs> disability... Case, right? Yeah. Disability plays a huge um, part and and can really throw you off. You're talking about these routes. You know, do we know how to emergency exit out of our uh, buildings? Do we know where to go from there? Do you know where the nearest whatever is in case you needed to communicate and don't have uh, things on you, right? Like, Correct. Including your white cane, like backups of things like that. So, yeah, there's a lot Absolutely. of stuff we're not ready for. <laughs> and and if I could throw in one quick other thing, because I know we're getting low mm -hmm. on time, uh, you know, places like hotels that we go to, uh, I find a lot of people will go like, okay, this is your room, this is, you know, the elevator, and we just kind of accept that. But honestly, pl planning for sort of where is the mm. fire escape yes. That's right. the hotel, yep. because emergencies definitely can happen in those places and yeah, uh, schools that's... workplaces where do yeah. i go i mean workplaces are pushed to, to make sure that you know but grant uh, you know make sure you can retrace your steps I, I i you know i've been in enough hotels to know that if something happened do i know where to go oh i know exactly. how to get to the elevator yeah that's, that's probably not, not where be. you need to go mm -hmm. in this situation exactly um, and yes. I, I think it is. It's that 72 hours, as you mentioned. I think that's so crucial. Running to the door, like you said, if there's a fire, uh, and knowing where your shoes are, having a white cane or something ready to go if you need it. Uh, I think you guys are so right. Yep. And those are just the minimal, let alone also upkeep of that food that you're storing just in case there's an emergency. I mean, most of us would do can or whatever we can open without water. And water, there's the big one. <laughs> water. Yeah. That's that's going to be somewhat important, definitely, if there's some kind of a shutdown, having a yeah. container of uh, or a few water bottles that you replace regularly. Exactly. Yeah. Brent, um, obviously really, really important information and a well-planned discussion. Thank you so much. Cool. Thank you for having me on. Grant Hardy joining us at one of our very popular conversations that we sprinkle throughout the week. Um, this one on emergency preparedness and the earthquake system preparedness uh, system. Am I saying that right? No. Uh, but anyways, in BC. Emergency prepared, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're prepared to return, ladies and gentlemen, after the break. And coming up when we do, Danielle McLaughlin will continue her discussion with us on celebrating various religious and cultural holidays. This week, we talk accommodations that are out there for religious practices. Stay tuned. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Ramya and Kelly hanging out with you. Appreciate your time, folks. She is at the studio in Toronto at main campus. I am here in London, Ontario, liking our little visit with you. And Grant Hardy was just with us. So I mentioned the water thing. And, I, you know, it's the one thing that we really need to think about in, in circumstances of uh, uh, some kind of emergency and having emergency preparedness. And I don't know how much goes by people when it comes to water, especially if you don't like water. You forget it as that yep. absolute what the body needs, whether you like it or not. Yeah, you know, when I was preparing to go camping... Um, all of these things were very top of mind the first time sure. I went camping, right? Oh, yeah. the, not just water, but knowing that but you can have treated water. Yeah, exactly. Right. And and all these other things like first ki first aid kit, not just for me, but for my dog. And do we have you know extra socks, extra blankets, something to keep us alive if if needed? And right. yet, you know, everyday life, we don't think about that. No, we're spoiled. We don't have to. And what makes it worse is. You know, when I was a kid, we'd have a power outage, oh, I'd say once a month. Just right. something would happen. And would go down. We hardly have any of that, including even outages with the internet. So we're so, oh, shoot, what happened? Like our Rogers Always one last dumbstruck. year. What do we Always. do? Yeah, it's like, oh, my goodness. This doesn't know what I don't know what to do. And I think, like Grant said, with that fire alarm, so important to recognize. And like, you, you know, he also mentioned... You know, so hear the segment, finish the show, and all that goes whoop, mm -hmm. out the window. 
Folks, it's time for our Know Your Rights segment. Let's bring on Danielle McLaughlin. Did you know that everyone has rights? No matter who we are, we all qualify. But what happens when freedoms collide? The answers are rarely simple, but always interesting. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, to talk about civil liberties and human rights on Know Your Rights. Let's recap. Last week, we talked about celebrating various religious holidays like the Lunar New Year. This week, we will look at a few cases where individuals have requested accommodations for their religious practices, but those practices may conflict with uh, workplaces and school rules. Danielle, thank you for returning. So let's talk about the principle, first of all, of which these decisions are supposed to be made. Well, hi, it's lovely to uh, see both of you this afternoon. And isn't that an interesting question? You know, the, mm. the, the notion that we should be making principled decisions is very much part of a democracy. But who makes the decision about how we make the decisions is really a significant issue. Well, in 1985, and you have to remember that our Charter of Rights and Freedoms only uh, came into being in 1982. So this was a pretty uh, early decision. And the case is called Big M Drug Mart case. And um, it was one of the earliest decisions that looked at the question of religious accommodation. Uh, the case basically had to do with some people who said that the their store, Big M Drug Mart in this case, shouldn't have to close um, on the Sabbath. And I think we talked about that for uh, last week. Mm -hmm. when we talked about, yeah. you know, people practice different Sabbaths, people practice no Sabbaths at all. The principle that the Supreme Court of Canada decided, and this is a a quote that's being used uh, in case after case after case is freedom means that subject to such limitations as are necessary to protect public safety, order, health or morals or the fundamental rights and freedoms of others, no one is to be forced to act in a way contrary to his beliefs or his conscience. You can read his or her in this case. Mm -hmm. So what that says is, you know, if my behavior doesn't actually inflict um, any kind of problem on you, I should be able to behave any way that I want to. Well, there are, you, and I'm sure you've experienced workplace safety rules. All of us have uh, experienced school safety rules. I mean, I don't think there's anyone who doesn't remember, don't run in the halls, right? Right, um, for sure. Or, yeah, yeah, or, you know. Those darn you know, hall monitors. Were you one of them? That's Danielle? right. No, never. <laughs> no, I was the one running the other way. <laughs> no, I think that, you know, we all know that there are certain things we really want to limit in the behavior of others, but how much do we want that to apply to us ourselves? Right. Well, so the case that I'm going to start talking about, and, and the reason I'm talking about it is our, our wonderful Pro Bono Students Canada uh, volunteer uh, law student brought it to my attention, is a case in which a BC uh, ferry service employee was told that he had to shave his beard off in order that he uh, would be able to accommodate a respirator if needs be. Now, this is the sort of respirator that firefighters use. And um, this man is a member of the Sikh faith, uh, and in general, most people of the Sikh faith allow their hair and beards to grow. That they, they right. just they, they, this is what they do. Well, early on in his employment, he had shaved his beard off because he was told by his employer that he had to do that, and then he learned about religious accommodation. He hadn't known that that really existed. And he was very uncomfortable about not having a beard because that was what his community expected, his family expected, and his religious faith expected. And so he he grew his beard back and he was suspended. Well, the question is, is there such a thing as a respirator that can accommodate a beard? And it turns out that while the place where he worked didn't have those sorts of respirators, others did, and others mm -hmm. continue to have that. So 
he made a complaint. His union has subsequently made a complaint, and they have said that because of the Big M drug mart case, the the quotation that I just read you, mm-hmm. um, yes, he should be accommodated because his whether he has a beard or he doesn't have a beard isn't going to affect other people. You know, right. uh, if you see, yep. if you see somebody you know on, on the street who you know is dressed according to their religious faith, basically that's none of your business. Um, but the ferry uh, service has said, well, they are required to keep their employees safe. And according to them, his safety relies upon his being able to wear this particular kind of respirator, even though other ferry services um, don't use the same kind of respirator and can accommodate it, a, a, a person with a beard. And in fact, in some people's view, the other sorts of respirators are actually safer than the ones this particular day. And and accommodating. If you're telling your worker, because you have a beard, it puts you in jeopardy if by chance we need to use, this needs to happen, well, then that should expand, especially a a ferry service, to the customers that are on board. Well, isn't that interesting? Now, I don't know whether customers are ever required to wear a respirator. I've, you know, I, to be honest with you, I've never been on a BC ferry. Um, right. And I but guess in, in a an emergency situation, yeah, exactly, if there yeah. were a fire, maybe maybe right. that is the case. I, is I don't know that. Yeah. yeah. So this hasn't been decided. This this uh, is a case that, that was first reported in December of 2022. The union has, uh, you know, filed their grievance. We'll see where this goes. But I think while we're thinking about that, we have to look at a number of other cases. And one that I'm very familiar with and which made a lot of um, media and a a real foo-for-ah was the case of a young man named Gurbaj Singh Multani. And he belongs to the Sikh faith as well. And one of the tenets of that particular faith is that people have on their person um, what are called the five Ks. There are five items that must be worn on one's person. And one of them is called a kirpan, which is a knife or dagger shaped object. Well, you can imagine that a school rule that says you can't bring knives to school uh, was the safety rule that the school uh, wanted him to, to abide by. Well, his family said, I'll tell you what, Let's. this is what we'll do. We'll take the kirpan, we will lock it into a blunt case, we'll stitch that case into a fabric envelope, and we'll stitch that onto a sash that he will wear under his clothing. So it would be virtually impossible for the kirpan to actually be withdrawn by the young man himself or anyone else who might be interested in, in trying to right. do so. That's right. Yeah. The school wouldn't budge. They said, no, that's not good enough, not safe enough. So we have Hmm. to really look at what do we even mean when we say safe? How safe can we ever be? Um, And one of the things that when this case went to court and it went all the way up to the Supreme Court of Canada is the question, you know, what is it that makes schools unsafe? Well, interestingly, at that time, and I suspect even to to this time, no kirpan had ever been used in a school setting to cause harm. However, right, right. baseball bats, staplers, um, you know, books, scarves, lots of other things had yes. caused injuries. Um, and nobody was saying, you know, we have to say no books are allowed no books. to clonk somebody on the or head. Or you with can't it, have right? water, someone might slip. Right? Or what about yeah. pencils? Um, You know, there are lots and lots of things that can make people unsafe. So how safe can we ever make any situation? And this was a question that the Supreme Court had to decide. They decided um, on behalf of this young man. He was 12 when this case started. And any guess as to how old he was by the time the case finished? 16. Just uh, he actually had graduated from high school, <laughs> um, but he had, but he had had to go to a private school that would accept him um, as is. They would accept him with his kirpan because the private school had no concern about his kirpan and never thought that there was a safety issue. So you can see that you know if you want to fight for religious freedom, you better be in there for the long haul. Well, Danielle, the question that I always. I always ask is, 
So we we can look at this and they can school can look at it and say, yeah, understand. Okay, what you're talking about would keep it from being able to be accessed. We understand that. It's always the concern. Well, if you can do it, what can Kelly do then? And what's he going to bring into the school and say, well, I, I should be allowed. Even if you can say, well, no, no, if you, you lock it all up in the hall and you you don't go any, 20 feet near it. Okay, right. Kelly. You know, uh, but exactly. it always seems to come down to what will someone else be clever enough to think they can get away with that could pose the hazard. And will they? So, you and know, we'll if be. we if we have a, a belief that there is such a thing as a bona fide religious obligation, you know, that there are things that people's religious faiths require of them, um, then we will probably be more likely to accommodate those people who have some way of demonstrating that this is, in fact, a truly held belief. And that's pretty much mm-hmm. what the test is. Is it a truly held belief? Now, if right. I... I don't happen to practice that faith. If I decide that I want to carry a kirpan um, because I like the idea of it, perhaps if I'm willing to do what he was willing to do and lock it into a blunt sheath and stitch it into an envelope of fabric and all the rest of it, maybe I could be allowed to do it too. I'd be pretty silly to do it. But, you know, since when haven't people been silly, right? I mean, that's, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of silly out there. Um, Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting. Um, I was looking uh, actually at today's New York Times, and there is a case that is going to go to the United States Supreme Court. Now, up until quite recently, um, the United States had a different way of deciding cases having to do with religious accommodation and their view of accommodation altogether. And this would include, I think, disability accommodation is um, it's called de minimis, which means like only a little bit. So if you say to, for example, a workplace, if you were to say to the the BC Ferry Service, look, it's not going to cost you much to bring in another sort of respirator. Mm -hmm. Um, You can do that. Then the the U.S. Supreme Court would probably say, well, okay, um, you know, you're going to have to do that in order to accommodate the complainant. but if you said, well, it's going to require refitting the whole ferry service, they would probably say, no, you really don't have to do that because mm-hmm. that's an unreasonable amount of, of accommodation. We don't make our decisions in Canada quite that way. But should we? What's happening? Well, there you go. So- because, Danielle, in, in both of these examples that you spoke in detail about, uh, yes. it seems that the individual is not only asking for an accommodation, but in one of the cases, like with the Kirpan, is able to give you a reasonable suggestion to offer, say, this is right. what we'll do in order to accommodate my religious beliefs. And and I thought, like, throughout this entire conversation, I was making parallels in my head about disability and, you know, how yes, often exactly. do we are we taken out of programs, taken off of surfaces, taken away from school courses because we weren't able to be accommodated and it's very similar um in intention you know like we we, yes, we are giving you suggestions we have creative ways to think about we're right. not asking you to overhaul an entire system of rules it's simply the equitable approach and, yet- and you re- i'm sure you remember the case of the uh, young lawyer in ontario who was told he couldn't live uh in a certain accommodation because he would be unsafe. Right. And mm-hmm. he was blind. Yep. And right. therefore, yep. because he was blind, not only would he be safe, but arguably make the rest of the people there unsafe. And he was willing to make all sorts of accommodations. The landlord wasn't. Um, and mm-hmm. so what do we even mean when we say safe? We're going back to that same question. And it's very concerning. There is a case called Monette. Now, uh, Mr. Monette, in this case, was incarcerated. Uh, he had been convicted of an offense, and he was incarcerated. And during the period of his incarceration, he had converted to Islam. And one mm-hmm. of the requirements for his um, religious beliefs was that he have a prayer rug so that he could could uh, pray regularly mm-hmm. e- each day. Um, he was told that a prayer rug was unsafe. Now, 
trust me, I do not understand that, how a Mm-mm, small yeah, piece of what, yeah. what, what amounts to a small piece of carpeting, how that could be unsafe. They offered him a towel and he said that wasn't a prayer rug and that did not actually uh, satisfy the require his religious requirement. So, you know, one of the questions that rose in my mind is also, you know, were were they trying to embarrass him? You know, by saying yeah. here, use yeah. this old towel, yeah. that that kind of thing. You know, yeah. And we've seen that where people have asked for accommodation and been refused, um, they've also been told, well, you can do this other sort of job, which you know is uh-huh. you know, yes. all right, you can have the same yes. pay, but you know, of we're going to put you in the back of the room, and nobody's going to be. You're not going to have anything to do with anyone. You. This is this is really punishment in 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 my view for seeking accommodation so right. you yeah. know how how do we balance these things in canada how is this case going to be balanced in the united states of a man who is seeking accommodation for a religion well, that requires him to take saturdays off um yeah then and, now we know, have to put a halt there and think more on it because we're out of time thank exactly. you kindly well, so, We could do a three-hour course on this. But anyway, thank you. Talk to you next week. We will do that. Danielle McLaughlin as we go cover off our rights. We'll return to Kelly and Robbie to wrap up the program after this. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. We wrap up the program, Ramya and myself, by covering off maybe a segment or two to remind you folks, but go back, check out the podcast, and subscribe if you haven't done that. Maybe give us a rating and review. Ramya, I- I'm going to let you tee us up with the segment you'd love people to most go check from today's show. We had a lot of tips with Michael Bad. Babcock on our tech talk um, and it ranged anywhere from how to download some of these new apps available on the blind shell classic to phone we also talked about the mac and jaws and iphone um, specifically copying the last heard phrase that your screen reader gave you and the the importance and uh you know need for that uh, and then we got into some airpod talk as well that kelly's going to experiment with with his new airpods you betcha. Um, Parasport talk is what kind of pulled me in today a little bit with sports. Uh, your talk right off the beginning of the show that you tried out curling. I know myself when I went to curling, it was because I thought it's cool to be on a team. And I remembered as Brock was speaking through his segment about his experience being at the Parasport Games. And we know Brock as a, a former Paralympian, obviously being part of an Olympic team. But it's that team sport, you know, going out there, whether you're doing your blind soccer, Ramya, uh, curling, or when I've been on in school, wrestling team, and just so many different team events. Mm-hmm. It's nice to do your 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 tandem biking. It's wonderful to, to swim and you'd be on a swim team as well. But when you're doing more of that, have to be on a team, goal ball, whatever it might yeah. be. Uh, that's what it reminded me of. That's what it was so wonderful to hear that discussion because it's something like Parasport, uh, both be taken into account Paralympics, the ambitions of people to get there, and people just wanting to be active and have a, an event like that that makes you feel so darn good to be a part of. So really interesting conversation with Brock Richardson. Check that out via the Kelly and Rumya podcast, please. Paul Daniel joins us now to tee us up about uh, the folks over at Now at Day Brown, their show on AMI-tv tomorrow at 9 a.m. Sir, good day. Welcome back. Hey, Kelly. On tomorrow's show, we'll speak with Jamie Bowman, who has written a book titled Bike Riding in Kabul, about her adventures as an international legal consultant modernizing laws in countries such as Ukraine, Afghanistan, and Rwanda. Environmental contributor Lawrence Gunther discusses why old-growth trees in BC are still being chopped down for logging, even though 2020 law was introduced that was supposed to prevent that action. And we'll have our Tuesday News Quiz with Alex Smythe and guest contestants Greg David from our Marcon department and Alicia Hardley from our HR department. So we'll all have to be on our best behavior, I guess. <laughs> HR is watching, Paul. Indeed. Well, they, 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 know they know who I am. So <laughs> they, what was that, Rum? I'm asking if Alicia's going to get an automatic win. Oh, you're so, so <laughs> you know for sure she, you know for sure she's not watching right now. Okay. Yeah, go ahead, Paul. Hey, keep the files keep, on keep me talking so your into the hole. 
I'll take more than one news quiz. That's right. No one will answer them right. Eight ball. He goes the opposite way. And and of course, off air, ladies and gentlemen, you do know that there's always the hand that comes out and Paul says, well, I I can be bribed. Thanks, pal. (laughs) Take care. I think that's just our show, Kells. Yeah, well, that's true. The money goes flying back and forth when we used to have those terrible, terrible quizzes. Don't you miss those? I really miss them. I think we'll I'm sure sneak one do. in this quarter. You spent a lot of money winning. Yeah. I mean, uh. <laughs> getting ahead <laughs> and making it close at least. Uh, we'll catch you tomorrow on the show because uh, we, you and I reassemble with everybody at 2 p.m. Eastern. And on the show tomorrow, we're going to be talking about prox- uh, proximity and transparency when it comes to being a food trend in 2023. We'll do, get into that with Julia Karanchis from you. Daniel Jeankind, our veterinarian, is talking about breaking the news for uh, pets and um, clients that they have cancer, but also some new research about cancer research from the Ontario Vet College. Yeah, a bit of a heavy conversation there, but it's going to be wonderful yeah. to get into that with her and always fantastic as she's been going through an incredible series really with us on the program. That's 2 p.m. Eastern time, ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully you can hang out with us for a little bit of your Tuesday. Take care of yourself. Have a wonderful night. We're waving at you. So many things are in my mind of late that I've picked up from the show that we may chat about on Cut for Time, but need a little more studying because I know with Ryan Huey a week and a half ago, we were talking about narrators being replaced by AI. And one of the things that dawned on me is if, and this is the story I heard forever, if we had that ability to create a screen reader that was like human voice people would be so interested and it would be used for so many things and it would be wonderful. Of course, creating something like that, only governments have the money to do and then to make it available to people. At the time when I was a kid and I kept asking that question, how come we can't? Well, because it would cost too much. You know, many of us knew how much screen reader programs such as JAWS cost to have on and all of us would would say, at least a little to be desired and warmth, friendliness and reading it. And then there's free ones that are out there, so you obviously can only have so much expectations out of that kind of stuff. Uh, we've been pleased with what VoiceOver and some of the others have done with the voices. However, though, again, you're paying a company a lot of money who has resources to have people study and create said voices and put that quality into it that we're talking about. But to keep the budget in line and keep the cost down for the average person wanting a screen reader program anywhere in the world, such as JAWS, I'm sure the people who create would like to say, well, we'd love to do this. We'd love to do that, enhance it this way. But all that requires study and the the people to create it and to make it happen and the money and resources just aren't there. So now that you've got these companies thinking of using AI, you just wonder, could a voice be created? Will it be created? Because these companies have more resources and a lot more people interested I think the fact that most of you who read an audio book, and if you're not familiar with, you know, having to listen to books on tape like I have or through uh, discs or mediums where it's audio and it's newer to you, if you heard an AI voice, you're going to be happy and say, wow, that's awesome. I can sit back here. You may have trouble understanding it, but it is something that the majority of people out there are just getting to know. And I guess if they're going to slip something like this in, you're going to get a lot of people who are okay with it because, hey man, at least I get something reading the story to me who don't have that, oh man, that's nothing like the human voice experience. So interesting to see where that goes. And we got that from our chat with Ryan Huey a week and a half ago. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.